Um, I just appreciate that clear note and certain sound. I want the Lord to help me to do the right thing right. Amen. And um, it's just always great to have elder ministers come and preach for us. They bring wisdom. They bring a life of integrity, life of faithfulness and anointing. They bring understanding. It never ceases to amaze me how elders know how to plant an important seed or make a critical cut with the Word of God, do it right. And uh, I just appreciate the way that the message was delivered this morning and the message that was delivered. Doing the right thing right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, I believe, Brother. Travis brings added wisdom because not only is he a seasoned minister and elder, but he worked as district superintendent in Mississippi for over 20 years. He handled a lot of situations with churches and ministers and saints. And there's a lot of wisdom comes to be able to do something like that for 20 years. And uh, this is men that I want to continue to connect with so that God can impart wisdom into my soul and that this church can continue to grow and develop and mature in the spirit. So thank you, Elder Travis, for coming. Amen. You and your wife are a blessing. And uh, just come obey the Lord again tonight. Everybody say, Lord, have your way. Thank you, Brother Townley. Praise the Lord, everybody. Now praise the Lord the rest of you. Now, why don't we all do that? You know what it feels like to me tonight? It feels like we're just about three good healthy hallelujahs away from a Pentecostal explosion. Anybody else feel that way? Woo! Hallelujah. 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 Wow. God bless you. You can be seated. Heard about one preacher said he was really trying his best to get his folks into worship and he was priming and pumping and cheerleading. And let me stop long enough to say that I don't think that's the will of God. It ought to be spontaneous. There ought to be a spontaneous praise. But he was trying his best to get the folks to worship, and finally in frustration he gave up. He said, well, at least I have the promise of one thing, that this church will be first in the rapture. Because the Bible said the dead in Christ shall rise first. <laughs> well, I don't think God likes dead churches, do you? I think he likes lively churches. Let me tell you something. The dry, dead, cold, ritualistic, ceremonial churches are on their way out. In this end time, it's going to be the turned-on churches that's going to see a move of God. 
Let me tell you something, Jennings. You're in the best days of your life right now. From here to the rapture will be your best days. I believe that. From here to the rapture. I believe it. Praise God. So be it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Ah, Lord. Oh, I like what I feel. I like what I feel in this place tonight. I like the way you folks worship. I like it. Praise God. Hey, no telling what the Lord might do here tonight. So be it, Lord. You know, there's some of these folks that are prone to criticize us Pentecostal folks in our worship. They say you'll find one thing about Pentecostal folks. Most of them are poor people. And that's probably right. I mean, we're poor by some standards of Bill Gates and folks like that. Of course, if you compare us to the majority of the world, we're rich folks. Uh, but uh, we're not uh, overly endowed with this world's goods. And they said, uh, these Pentecostal folks said they, uh, they're, they're poor people and they don't have a lot of outlets in the things of the world. So when they come to church, they just find a release valve and they just kind of pop off. And they said they're very nervous people. Now, that, that's what somebody's assessment of Pentecostal folks were. They're nervous people. If this is what you call nervousness, I wish to God I'd have been born with a nervous breakdown. <laughs> because I like it. I like it. Uh, thank you, Brother Townley, and let me say again that these people are very, very hospitable people, and uh, we're uh, becoming better acquainted with them, and, and I really like what I see and what I feel, their spirit. Of course, the Townleys, uh, I have known a number of the Townleys down through the years. Brother Ron Townley preached for me many times and, of course, worked with us on the district level, on our Revival and Evangelism Council. And then uh, Sister Robbie Hicks was my personal secretary for a number of years. So uh, I've known uh, the Townley family for a long time. But it's so good to uh, be here this weekend. And, of course, I give honor to uh, Brother and Sister Alexandra. God bless them and their faithful work for the Lord. And I pray that God will give them strength, added strength. Amen. And then, of course, Brother and Sister Reeves, it's good to see them and be with them to have this time of fellowship tonight. I'm happy for my first wife. She's been my bride now for over 50 years. Now, <laughs> 50 years. And somebody said, uh, have you ever had a disagreement? Billy Sunday was preaching to thousands of people. And one night he said, anybody here been married any length of time, never had a cross with your companion, raise your hand. And way in the back of the house, a little thin, frail-looking guy raised his hand. He said, sir, how long have you been married? He said, I've been married 30 years. Never had a cross with your wife? He said, nope. 
He said, come up here. And several thousand people, he walked up. He said, I want to introduce this congregation to the biggest liar in the world. <laughs> yeah, we've had some disagreements, but we've had some wonderful times. And, uh, my Lord, I, I better not get started on all that, but she's very sweet and very precious. And I want her to greet you tonight. I'm, and I'm glad to have my grandson Joshua with us. Joshua is my buddy, three years old. And he travels with us occasionally, and uh, we just have a good time. But I want my wife to greet you tonight. I'm thankful to be in Jennings and to feel the presence of the Lord, to know that he is in this service, and he has come and crowned us with his presence. A few weeks ago, we were in a service, and the praise singers were singing, and they were talking about the blood of Jesus and how it never loses its power. And it's it can go through the highest hills and the deepest valleys, and you know the song. So I was sitting there thinking about the words of the song, and I s my mind just kind of went back to every shelf in my pantry and every jar and every can in that pantry has an expiration date on it. It says it's best if used by a certain date. And as I was listening to that song and my mind was rambling about the best if used by, I just reminisced a little bit and I said, God, your blood that you shed over 2,000 years ago does not have a best if used by. It doesn't have an expiration date. It's just as good today as it was the day it was shed on Calvary. It can wash away sins. It can heal the body, the mind, and the spirit. And I'm so thankful that blood will never lose its power. God bless you. And somebody shout hallelujah. Praise God. If you'd like to uh, stand with us, if it's comfortable for you to do so, I want to turn uh, to two different uh, particular passages in the word of the Lord. First, in the book of uh, Psalms, chapter 73, and if you can uh, hold that place and then go to Psalms 84. Psalms, chapter 73, and Psalms, chapter 84. I trust we're here tonight to hear what the Lord has to say. Psalms chapter 73, let's look at verse 16 and 17. But just before I read that verse, let me give you a little background. Uh, if you would read the entire context, that whole chapter, you would find that the psalmist was somewhat distraught. As he looked upon the prosperity of the wicked, and this, this whole context talks about that, the prosperity of the wicked, and he kind of reached the place that he thought, well, maybe it really doesn't pay to live for God. Uh, let me paraphrase it and put it this way. It's like uh, he's a child of God and he's standing out beside the road trying to thumb a ride to get from one destination to the next. And uh, some guy passes by in his Rolls Royce smoking a cigar, drinking a can of beer, and just passes right on by. Got everything that heart could desire as far as material possessions, but this child of God is suffering. And then we see uh, people prospering, and the Bible said in that particular 
context said there's no bands in their death. In other words, when they come to die, it's uh, kind of like Jacob talked about him just pull his feet up in the bed and lie over and go to sleep. But then a child of God dies with cancer or some dreaded disease. And the psalmist said in verse 16, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. It was just too difficult for me to handle. Until. Everybody say until. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Psalms chapter 84 and verse 3. Yea, the sparrow hath found an house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Would you lift your voices together and pray sincerely that God would anoint the ministering of his word tonight. Let's pray. God, I'm yours. I make myself available to you. I offer myself. Let me become your mouthpiece. Let me become your messenger. Speak to this people, Lord, through the ministering of the word of the Lord. I love you with all that's within me, and I want your will to be done tonight. Anoint the ears of the people to hear. Open their minds and hearts to receive your word, and you'll receive the glory and honor for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Are you going to help me preach? God bless you. You can be seated. Now, if you will notice uh, the psalmist saying that it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary, the Bible does not say in this particular passage that he went to the altar. But I think I can accurately assume that when he went to the sanctuary, he made a trip down to the altar, and there at the altar he had communion and fellowship with God. Psalms 84 and 3 said that the sparrow had found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even thine altars. I, I don't know that much about birds, but I've been told that the swallow and the sparrow are natural enemies, that they cannot get along together. But the connotation here is that even those that cannot get along, if they make a trip to the altar, they can get along fine. At the altar, everything works out okay. And so I want to preach to you tonight by the help of the Lord on this subject, the power of the altar. Oh, how simple I trust that the simplicity of what I've just said and announced to you as a subject will not rob you of the impact that I think that the Holy Ghost wants to make tonight. I think somebody in this service will leave here with a changed life. Yes, 
before this service is over. Praise God. They said there was a drunk walking down the street one day, and he said to a passerby, he said, Say, buddy, what time is it? He looked at his watch, and he said, Well, it's uh, 4 p.m. And the old drunk said, Well, that's strange. He said, I've been asking that same question all day long. And he said, every time I ask it, somebody gives me a different answer. <laughs> well, the truth of the matter is that's the way it should be. If he asks what time is it and they give him the same answer every time, then somebody's clock has stopped. But I'll tell you what, there's a question that is posed quite often that should get the same answer every time, but a different answer is given so many times. And that question is, how can I find my way out of trouble? How can I find a life that's worth living? How can I dig out of the cesspools of iniquity and despair and find peace in my soul? And many answers are given, but we should have the same answer every time. And I'm going to tell you tonight, without any reservations at all, if that's your question, I have the answer. I have the answer. And I'm telling you that God wants to give us the answer. We're living in a world that is power conscious. A young man brags about how many horses under the hood of his car. We hear people bragging about black power and women power and gay power. And we hear people talking about nuclear power. But I want to inform you tonight that there is a power that is overlooked that is the most powerful place on earth, and that's the power of the altar. We overlook it. The why, Brother Travis, how could you say that it's the most powerful place on earth? I'll tell you why. Because whatever God can do can be accomplished at the altar. Let me ask you, what can your God do? I said, what can your God do? My God can do anything. My God can open blind eyes, unstop deaf ears. He can make lame legs to walk. But we have overlooked the power of the altar. Let me tell you, it's a sad day when they took prayer out of our schools. It's a sad day when they will not let them give out Bibles in the schools anymore. Or they'll let them give them out in the prisons, but not in the schools. Wouldn't it be much better if they would let them give them out in the schools and not have to go to the prisons? But I'm going to tell you something that is even more tragic than that. And that is the day when your children stumble over a broken down altar in your home. There's too many people that don't have, don't have altars anymore in their homes. I'm telling you, my friend, when they stumble over that broken down altar into a Christless eternity, they will shake their fist in your face and curse you for the day they were born. If there's ever a time that this apostolic church better get back to the altar, it's now. We better get back to the altar. I don't care how smart you are. I don't care how intelligent you are. You do not have enough wisdom to handle this thing on your own. We have got to depend upon God. 
My Bible said in the book of John chapter 15 and verse 5, I am the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Everybody say it. Nothing. Philippians 4 19 said, I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. I've got to have God to help me. And the only way I can find that power, I'm going to find it at an altar. I'll just hang with me just a minute. I'm going to tell you it's very important. Abraham, the man of faith, was a man that built an altar everywhere he went. The Bible tells us that the first order of business with Abraham was Abraham built an altar and then he pitched a tent or he dug a well. But the first order of business was to build an altar. His son Isaac came along, and there's a little bit of variation. Isaac dug his well and then built his altar. What's the difference, Brother Travis? There's a world of difference because Abraham put God first. Isaac put his domestic needs first. I'm telling you, there's too many today that's putting our domestic needs and then putting God into the equation. But we better build our altar first. Abraham built his altar, pitched his tent, dug his well. Isaac dug his well, built his altar. When his son came along, Jacob, Jacob built altars all right. But it was only when he was up to his ears in trouble. It's after he's running for his life from a brother that's got murder in his heart. And when he stops and pulls up a stone for a pillow at night. And there he saw a ladder sitting on the earth and angels ascending and descending upon that ladder. And if you want to know what that ladder was, go to John 1, 51. And the Bible talks about Jesus Christ being that ladder. That's the only thing that can connect earth to the glory world. And that's Jesus Christ. But Jacob built his altars. But when, he's, when he was in trouble and there was nowhere else to turn, he decided, I better build an altar. And he did. He went to the household of Laban, stayed for 20 years. I cannot find one time that he built an altar. But he came back to Bethel, and he built an altar again. And that night he gained power with God. And God said, your name will not be called Jacob anymore, but it will be called Israel as a prince. You've got power with God, but he got it at the altar. He, dug, he broke through at the altar. My God, for 20 years he went on and accumulated great substance and large families. But now he comes back and he's facing a brother with murder in his heart. And he said, I've got to get back to the altar. Wouldn't it be better to pray while the sun is shining than to wait till the storm clouds gather and then decide it's time to pray? Let's don't wait till we're up to our ears in trouble. But let's put God first in our lives every day. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Let's follow on just a little further. Abraham built his altar, pitched his tent, dug his well. Isaac dug his well, 
built his altar. Jacob built his altars when he was up to his ears in trouble. But his sons, from Bethel, he said, it's no longer Bethel, but El Bethel, the God of the house of God. But from that point, he was called Israel. And he said, had sons, and they called them the children of Israel. That was the fourth generation. And they forgot about their altars. Stay with me just a little bit. And when they forgot their altars, they did unthinkable things. They took their own brother and threw him in a pit. And in his anguish, as he cried for help, the Bible said they sat down to eat. They ignored the cry. That's people that don't have altars. How many times have a precious child of God been thrown into a pit of discouragement because of some bitter, harsh words that were spoken from an unthoughtless person? And when they're thrown into that pit of discouragement and in anguish they're crying, they can't sleep at night, and you turn a deaf ear and go your way, that's people that do not have altars. I'm telling you, folks, we've got to get back to the altar. I said we've got to get back to the altar. We cannot afford to go our way and decide that the altars is not important. Hey, when we get to the place we're so occupied with the things of this world that we forget that altar, we're setting ourselves up for disaster. But when we come back to that altar, I don't care what your needs are. My God has given you the answer, but you're going to find it at the altar. Clap your hands to the Lord and let's praise Him. I want you to know that everybody's welcome at the altar. Even the common ordinary sparrow was found at the altar. The rich man is welcome at the altar, but the pauper is welcome at the altar. The bondman is welcome at the altar, but the free man is welcome at the altar. The Jew is welcome at the altar, but the Samaritan is welcome at the altar. I don't care what your needs are. Bring them to the altar. If you're sick in your body, bring it to the altar. If you've got to have a... If you you've got a problem that you don't have the answer to, just bring it to the altar. If you've got disappointment, just bring it to the altar. I don't care what your need is, just bring it to the altar. Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. I was in the church one day praying. And one of the men, one of the finest men that I'd ever pastored came in and interrupted my prayer time. He said, Brother Travis, I'm sorry to interrupt your prayer time, but I have a request to make. I said, well, of course. He said, would you please occasionally go by and check on my, on my children and see if they're okay? I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, things have not gone well. And he said, my wife and I are not getting along. And he said, I've got my car loaded up. I'm packed up. I'm on my way out of town now. And he said, 
I am concerned about my children. All I ask you to do is occasionally just go by and see if they're okay. I said, where's your wife? He said, she's at the house. I said, let's go talk. He said, I don't want to talk. Now, when I say you, this is one of the finest men that I've ever pastored, I say that without reservation. I could tell you a long story of things that would make me say that. He was loyal, faithful in every respect. But I said, let's go talk to your wife. He said, I don't want to talk. I've talked all I want to talk. I insisted. And finally, he said, okay. We went to the house, and we started talking. And when we started talking, she began to blame him. And he blamed her. They were both working. They were stretched out. And as this went on for quite some time, him blaming her and, and she was blaming him, I saw that I was getting absolutely nowhere. And in my moment of desperation, I received some inspiration. And I said to them, let's pray. And so we built an altar. No, not literally, not with woods and nails. The couch became an altar. A recliner became an altar. A chair became an altar. And we started praying. And as we prayed, I, or rather as I prayed, they didn't do a lot of praying. I could hear them mumbling a little bit. But I began to get desperate because I knew that I was failing to bring reconciliation. There was nothing that I could do. And I felt so helpless. And I began to cry out to God and tears began to flow down my face. And I said, God, this is one of the finest families that I've ever pastored. And the devil is determined to break this home apart. And these precious children are going to become victims. But I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I take dominion and power over the spirit that's invaded their home to tear it apart. And I curse that spirit and send it back to the pits of hell. All of a sudden, I heard them as they began to break down and they began to weep and they began to pray. We had an old-fashioned prayer meeting. I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost came down. It was like heaven kissed the earth and we were right in the middle of the smack. And when I felt the presence of God, I get up. He looked at me and said, Brother Travis, I'm sorry. He said, I'm to blame. She said, oh, no, you're not to blame. I'm to blame. He said, you're not to blame. I'm to blame. She said, you're not to blame. I'm to blame. I just let him argue. Wow. One of the sweetest arguments that I ever heard in my life is one was saying, I'm to blame. The other said, I'm to blame. Let me tell you something, friend. They found a place at the altar. That couple today has grandchildren and probably great-grandchildren, and they're still living together. The devil was determined to break it apart. If you've got a problem in your marriage, I challenge you to take them by the hand and bring them to the altar. There is power at this altar. I said, there's power at the altar. I don't know what your situation is, but I know one thing. I have found a place of power that has the answer to your problem. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord, everybody. Woo! Come on, let's praise him. 
You can be seated. If you've got a problem with your neighbor, bring him to the altar. If you've got a problem with one of the saints of God, just join hands with them and come to the altar. I'll promise you, you'll find an answer at the altar. Even the sparrow and the swallow gets along at the altar. And when the psalmist said, I couldn't take it anymore, but when I went to the altar, I came away with a renewed thinking in my mind, I can make it. I'm telling you, friend, I'm going to make it. I said, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it because I'm going back to the altar. Hallelujah. You can be seated. I don't care what your problem is. Regardless of your past, there's power at the altar. There was a converted cannibal that was reading his Bible one day. And an American soldier walked by and said, What are you doing? That converted cannibal said, I'm reading my Bible. And the soldier boy said, Well, where I came from, the Bible's outdated. And that converted cannibal looked at him and said, Sir, you better thank God it's not outdated here. He said, you'd have been eaten a long time ago. I read in a book, 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. But you're washed. But you're sanctified. But you're justified. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. I'm telling you, some of you were addicted to alcohol. Some of you were addicted to drugs. Some of you were addicted to nicotine. And such were some of you. But thank God at the altar, you found deliverance and you found power and God set you free. I don't know if you feel what I feel right now, but what I'm feeling walking the avenues of my soul, my God is saying, you can have it. Oh, clap your hands to the Lord again, somebody. Why don't you blend your voice in praise to him? Why don't you exalt the name of Jesus Christ? Why don't you shout hallelujah? Shout hallelujah. Go ahead and do what you feel like doing. I said just go ahead and do what you feel like doing. If you feel like shouting, shout. If you feel like dancing, dance. If you feel like running the aisles, run the aisles. Just do what you feel like right now. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Woo! Hallelujah! That's it. Go ahead. Go ahead.
somebody shout hallelujah. Shout hallelujah. I'm talking about the power of the altar. I said I'm talking about the power of the altar. The most powerful place on earth. I don't care what your need is. You can find it at the altar. seated for just a minute. My Lord, does anybody feel what I feel? Hey, if it's not coming down back there, come right here. It's coming down right here. My God, there's something powerful in this place tonight. And I'm telling you, whatever your needs is, God wants to meet those needs. First Corinthians 3 and 16, put it this way, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. This old country preacher read that, and he said, without controversy. He said, everything's a mystery. Without controversy, without argument, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit. Seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, and received up in the glory. And some folks preached that the Godhead's a mystery. It didn't say that. It said godliness is a mystery. Amen. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Pray tell me, how could a person on Sunday night, September the 7th, Walk into the Apostolic Church in Jennings, Louisiana, and a spirit of conviction gripped them. And they walk down to an altar, and they're a drug addict. They're a murderer, liars, gamblers, prostitutes. And they walk down to a Pentecostal altar, and they repent. And God fills them with the Holy Ghost, and they get up, and they walk out. They're as clean as the day they were born. Friend, that's a mystery. That's a mystery. 2,000 years ago, his blood is affecting people tonight. That's a mystery. That's a mystery. We can't understand that. But I'm going to tell you what, it works because such were some of you. Some of you found it right here at the altar. Praise God. I remember when I was in school that our teachers, when we started studying fractions, they told us, that there's some fractions that you can't add, like one-tenth and one-fifth. You can't add those. There's no way to add them. So if Brother Townley has one-fifth of an apple and I have a tenth of an apple, there's got to be some way to figure out the accumulative total of what part of the apple the two of us have. Does anybody have any idea how you find that out? Say it loud. Oh, you got some smart folks here. Common denominator. Or right, what's a common denominator for one-tenth and one-fifth? Ten. Ten goes into ten one time. One times one is one. 
Five goes into ten. Two. Two times one equals two. So two tenths and one tenths added together is three tenths. So he and I have three tenths of the apple. So much for the math lesson. I had a guy to tell me. He said, uh, I don't understand it. He came and visited our church. And we had, for the lack of a better term, we had a Pentecostal blowout. We had church, good church. And this man said, I don't understand it. He said, you've got people in this church that are independently wealthy, own their own airplane, own their own business. But he said, I also know that you've got people in this church that don't have a decent change in their clothes. And he said, I don't sense any clicks or any difference. Everybody seems to be all the same. I said, the ground at the cross is level. Mr. President of the U.S. has got to stand on the same level with that little widow woman that doesn't have a dime in her pocket, in her purse. Stand on the same level. How could it be that a person that is a multimillionaire and a person that's a pauper and they have anything in common? How could a person that is highly educated, they have a Ph.D., and here's an illiterate person that can't even read and write, how could they have anything in common? Heard about one guy that was arguing with this guy, and he said, I'm going to tell you your problem. You're just illiterate. He said, I'll have you know I am not. I am not illiterate. He said, my dad and mom were married when I was born. <laughs> the point's proven. <laughs> point's proven. But how? <clears throat> How could a person that's a Ph.D. have anything in common with, a, with an illiterate, illiterate person? How could a multimillionaire have anything in common with a pauper? I'll tell you what, the old-fashioned altar becomes the common denominator. It takes the high man low, high man, and brings him down low, and it takes the low man and brings him up high and puts him at the same level at the foot of the cross. I thank God for the power of the altar. I said, I thank God for the power of the altar. Anybody thank God for the power of the altar? Oh, somebody shout hallelujah. I remember a woman in Bible by the name of Rahab. Rahab had a nickname attached to her, and everybody knew her by that. Rahab the harlot. Everybody knows the story. Rahab the harlot. But this woman, Rahab, is mentioned three times in the, in the, uh, in the uh, New Testament. The first time is Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 31 said, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed, not when, when she had received the spies with peace. Keep this in mind, by faith, everybody say faith. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish 
with those unbelievers. James chapter 2 and uh, verse 25. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works. One place she's justified by faith. The other place she's justified by works. James expands on this just a little bit. And James said, show me your faith without your works and I'll show you my faith by my works. He said, faith without works is sick. Is it sick? Faith without works is dead. Hebrews 11 and 1 said, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Verse 6 said, Without faith it's impossible to please God. Amen. You've got to have faith. Amen. But, he said, if you don't put some works with it, I don't care how important your faith is, he said, if your faith has no works with it, your faith is dead. It does you absolutely no good. So she's mentioned those two times that you've got to have faith and you've got to have works. Now, she's mentioned one other time in the New Testament, and that's in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. That's all it said, just called her Rechab. But if you would look back in that first chapter of Matthew, it said, the book of the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham beget Isaac, and Isaac beget Jacob, and Jacob beget Judas and his brethren, and Judas beget Pharaoh, and on and on and on, and it goes. Do you know in the Old Testament, you get to the book of Second Chronicles especially, and you get so-and-so beget so-and-so, and so-and-so beget so-and-so. How many of you, Second Chronicles is your favorite place in the Bible to read? Most of us never go there because it's so-and-so begets so-and-so and chapter after chapter after chapter. But when you get into the New Testament, you will find out that the reason the genealogies were given was because it was leading us to one thing. It's leading us up to Jesus Christ. And when you get to Jesus Christ, the genealogies stop. There's no more genealogies. You don't find the genealogies after it comes up to Jesus Christ. And what I'm saying to you, that this woman, when she looked out and saw those people of God, she wanted to cast her lot with them, and she built some faith in her heart, and she put some works with it. But the Bible tells me when she gets in the genealogies, something changes. When she's talking about her faith, she's talking about Rahab the harlot was justified by faith. When you get to works, it was talking about Rahab the harlot is justified by works. And this is all wonderful. But when you get in the genealogies, it never mentions the fact that she was a harlot. All it did was just call her name. I want you to know when you come down to this old-fashioned altar, you may be a harlot when you walk down here. But when you get into the genealogies of Jesus, you walk out a child of God you might have been a murderer but when you walk out you walk out a child of God there is no more remembrance Ooh, somebody shout hallelujah my Lord when you walk away from this altar your sins are gone forever an individual was speaking disparagingly about someone I said, was that before they got the Holy Ghost or after? 
They said, oh, thou, of course, that was before they received the Holy Ghost. I said, you don't have a right to even talk about it. I said, it's under the blood. It's gone. It's as if it never happened. God said it's covered forever. You know what my Bible said? That when we come to this altar, we confess our sins. God said, I'm going to take your sins, and I'm going to cast them as far as the east is from the west. Did your Bible say that? Let me ask you a question. Why didn't he say as far as the north is from the south? Because when you start going north and south, you can only travel so far going north. When you get to the North Pole, if you keep traveling, you're not traveling north anymore. You're traveling south. But as you travel south till you get to the South Pole and keep traveling, you're not traveling south anymore. You're going north again. So there is a limit to how far a person can travel north, and there's a limit to how far he can travel south. But when you start traveling east, there's no limit to it. You can travel east and go for a million years and just keep on traveling, and you'll never get there. You can travel on and on. And my God said, I'm going to take those sins. I'm going to cast them as far as the east is from the west. I'm going to tell you the sins that I committed in my life, the sins that you committed, the murder, the lying, the gambling, everything that you did. I'm telling you, when you come to this altar, my God said you could look for a million years, but you'll never find it because it's under the blood. It's gone as far as the east is from the west. I'm telling you, that's enough to rejoice about, that my sins are gone. I'm a child of God. Somebody say yes. Say yes. Say yes. Wow. If you're not enjoying this, I'm having a good enough time to make up for you. Because I feel like I'm walking in liquid glory knee deep. I don't know. Do you feel that glory of God? The atmosphere is charged with His presence. Somebody here tonight's got some problems, and I'm here to tell you: whatever your problem is, the psychiatrist may not be able to help you. The doctor may not be able to help you. Your pastor may not be able to give you a solution to it, other than the fact the altar is the answer. I said, I don't care what your problem is; the answer is in the altar. I don't care what you've been in the past. I don't care how low you stooped in the past. There is nothing that you can't find at the altar. Every problem of this church. Now, there's some things in this church, Pastor, you can't fix. One of the things is the temperature. You can't fix it. Anybody hot in here tonight? Come on, be honest. Come on. I'm seeing you nodding, but just wave your hand. Yeah. You're hot, yeah. Anybody a little bit on the cool side? Yeah, yeah, I see that. Anybody just right? Yeah. How do you fix that? There's people here that's hot. There's people here that's cold. And there's people here just right. How do you fix it? It wouldn't be so bad if somebody walked in and they're, they're cold and uh, they just take a little shawl or a wrap or something and just apply it and just put it around them. But instead, they'll say, Are you cold? I'm freezing. 
Somebody say, are you hot? I'm burning up. Anybody's phone ringing? Go ahead and answer it. You can't fix the PA system. There's some that says, some are saying, some are saying, how do you fix that? Can't fix it. On the temperature, you might have one thing that might help a little, just put a thermostat on each one of the pews. <laughs> they're not hooked up, but at least they can push it and think they're doing something. And I'll tell you another thing you can't fix. You can't fix the music. I've got some friends that are dear friends of mine. I love them. And I'm not being sacrilegious when I say that. I love them. I hope they go to heaven. I really do. But their music, when we get there, they, they I don't know, I call it long hair music. They say, kind of like a dying calf in a hailstorm. I hope they get to heaven. But if they do, I hope the Lord has a special place reserved for people that like Southern gospel. Anybody with me? Yeah. I'm telling you, there's some things you can't fix. You can't fix the temperature. You can't fix the PA system. You can't fix the music. But if you're one of those that nothing ever pleases you, all I've got to say to you, make another trip to the altar. Because when you get to the altar, everything's going to be all right. Oh, it's easy to find fault. It's easy to find something wrong. But I'm, what I'm saying to you today, that we need to make another trip to the altar and let God get a hold of our hearts and get our minds and get our attitudes right. And when we do, God is fixing to send a revival that will shake your community for him. Come to the music and play softly. Psalms chapter 84 and verse 4 said, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will still be still praising thee. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The valley of Baca is the valley of weeping. But he said, when you pass through that valley, he said, you can make that valley of weeping a well of refreshing. When you come to the altar, the altar is a place of death. It's a place of sacrifice. But it's also a place where new hope is born at the altar. The psalmist said, I was distraught. I was discouraged over so many things, and I couldn't handle it. It was too much for me. 
But he said, I went to church. And I think he went to the altar. And he said, when I walked out from that altar, everything was altogether different. Everything was different. You can't backslide at the altar. I challenge you, as long as you're praying people through in the altar, you'll never backslide. You stay in this altar and you'll never backslide. It's when people forget their altars. And I close with this. And when I tell you that it's important that we approach that altar with the right spirit because I read in the 8th chapter of Acts and I referred to it this morning where Simon the saucer came with the wrong attitude wanting the power of God. Ananias and Sapphira died at the altar because they lied to the Holy Ghost. Joab was killed at the altar in 1 Kings chapter 2. But I read in 1 Kings chapter 1 that Adonijah ran to the altar and he was spared. It's important how we approach the altar. We've got to approach that altar with the right attitude. But there was a story of a man that was lost in the desert. He was dying of thirst. And he knew that without he could find water in a short time that there's no way that he would ever survive. Finally, he looked up and saw something that brought great joy to his heart for a moment. He saw an old dilapidated shack. It was fallen down by time and by neglect. And when he saw that old shack, he walked over thinking that perhaps I can find a place in the shade of this old shack to shelter me from the desert sun long enough for me to gain a little strength and maybe I can go a little further. His tongue was swollen, thick. His lips were dry and parched. His throat was dry. And when he walked over, he spotted an old pitcher pot. Some of the older folks here will know what I'm talking about. You would take water and pour it in that old pitcher pump to prime it. And then you would take the handle and you'd begin to pump and water would gush out of that old pump. And he reached over and grabbed the handle of that pump, hoping against hope that there would be some water. And he pumped it and it squeaked, but to no avail, there was no water. And in disappointment he turned to walk away when all of a sudden he looked and saw a jug and he picked up that jug and he could tell that there was some writing on the side of the jug and he brushed the dust away and the writing said you have to use all the water in this jug to prime the pump and then there was a PS said be sure and fill the jug again before you leave he popped the cork on it and sure enough it was filled with water his first thought was that he would drink that water, but he knew there was not enough there to totally hydrate his body to where he could go on to his destination. So he thought, well, I'll pour the water in the pump. Then his mind began to play tricks on him. What if the old pump, the gaskets are dried out and, and it won't prime? Then you've poured the last hope you have. And he struggled with that for a while, and finally he came to a decision. I'm going to die anyway, so I'm going to give it a chance. And 
so he poured the water in the pump and grabbed the hammer and started pumping. And he pumped and pumped and pumped and it squeaked, but nothing happened. And at the moment of discouragement, he's fixing to turn to walk away. And it was like something within him said, don't stop, keep pumping. And so he kept pumping and kept pumping and kept pumping. And then in a little bit, a little tongue of water, a little trickle of water began to come out. And then he pumped a few more times and fresh tongues of water began to gush out of the pump. He drank and drank again and again. And finally, when he felt that he had hydrated his body, he filled up the jug and he put the cork back in it. And then he added one last PS to it. And he said, believe me, it really works you've got to give it all away before you ever get anything back. I hope I can say this to where you will understand that I really mean it. I've been preaching this gospel for over 53 years. And I have seen harlots, murderers, liars, gamblers, drug addicts, alcoholics, you name it. I've seen them all. And I've seen them come down to this altar and repent and believe me. Believe me when I tell you it really works. It really works. But you've got to give it all away before you get anything back. I'm talking to somebody in this building tonight. The devil's beat you down. He's got your back against the wall. And he told you there's no hope for you. I'm here to call him a liar. I'm here to tell you there's hope for you at this altar. If you're lost, you can be saved. If you're sick, you can be healed. If you've got a problem that you don't have the answer to, you can find a solution. I don't care what your need is. This is the most powerful place on earth is this altar. Everybody say the power of the altar. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Listen to me carefully when I say this. I will not embarrass anybody in this building. I will not put anybody on the spot. But how many of you right now would say, Brother Travis, God, talk to me through the message, and I know that God wants to do something in my life tonight. Can I see your hand? I see it. I see it. I see those hands. I see them. God sees them. If it's comfortable for you to stand, and I know it's not comfortable for everybody to stand, but if it's comfortable for you to stand, would you stand with me right now? I want you to reach over and take somebody by the hand that's close to you. You don't know who raised their hand. God knows and they know, but I want you to pray right now as sincerely as you've ever prayed in your life. God you saw the hands that were lifted. In the name of Jesus Christ, I ask you 
to speak peace to their heart tonight. Don't let them leave this building until they've made a trip to this altar and they made everything right with God. Whatever it is, whatever your problem is, lay it on the altar. I said, whatever your problem is, lay it on the altar. Whatever God can do can be accomplished at the altar. Tonight, somebody's going to have a new lease on life. It can be you. While they sing, would you take that person right now that you're holding by the hand and bring them to this altar? If you don't need to come, come with somebody else and pray with somebody else. I'd love to see 100%. The power of the altar. The power of the altar. This is beautiful. Beautiful. Come on. Lay it on the altar. Lay it on the altar. Tell God, yes.
touch the Lord. Let's touch the Lord. Let's touch the Lord. Oh, that's it. Reach out and touch the Lord. attention for just a minute if you would just stand to your feet if you would just stand everybody I feel like there's some folks around this altar tonight with some needs that you need God to take care of so I'm going to ask you to do one thing I want you ladies if your husband is here I want you to find him and I want you to join hands with him. Will you do that? Find your husband, where, wherever they are. I want you to find him, join hands with him. Now, some of you, maybe your wife is not here. Gentlemen, find another man that uh, their wife is not here and join hands with them. Ladies, if your husband is not here, find another lady and join hands. Now, here's what I want you to do. And I've seen God do miracles through what I'm about to ask you to do. I want you right now to tell that person as much as you feel comfortable to tell them. Now, there may be some things that you're not totally comfortable to tell them. And if that's the case, then you just say, I have a special need it's a physical need or it's a material need or it's a spiritual need, whatever it is. Tell them as much as you feel comfortable to tell them. And then I want them to tell you. And then we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to do something that's very hard to do. I want you to forget your problem and pray for theirs. And I want them to forget their problem and pray for yours. If you will release your faith and believe God right here at the altar, miracles are fixing to happen. Does anybody believe that? Do you really believe that God will do that? Take just a minute and turn to them and tell them what is bothering you that's in your mind that's bothering you. I have a special need, and I need God. Tell your wife, tell your husband, tell your brother, tell your sister, and then we're going to pray for each other, okay? Will you do that? God, let me tell you, you're standing at the most powerful place on earth. I have seen all kinds of miracles take place right here at the altar. All right, let's pray now. I want you to pray sincerely. I want you to pray for them. Pray for them. 
in the name of Adamoshalamakata, in the name of Jesus Christ, I take dominion and power over every foul spirit that would try to defeat the people of God, and I release a spirit of victory. I release a spirit of faith tonight. In the name of Jesus, come on. Let's pray. Let's talk to God. While we sing it again, let's release our faith and believe God that it's going to happen. In oh, Jesus' name. At an altar of prayer, Woo! I met Jesus. Oh, yes. At the altar, at the altar, at the altar. Woo! Release that spirit that's flowing. Yield to it. Yield to what God's doing. Woo!
Holy Ghost work. I feel another breath of God. Come on. You're touching him right now. He's touching you.
Holy Ghost. Come on. Yield to the Holy Ghost. 